how do you pull something off of GitHub? Nobody tells you that the little download button is hidden. The readme things don't really get into that. And oftentimes there are not wikis. Like you click on the wiki and it doesn't go anywhere because there isn't one associated with a lot of those repos. And there probably should be, right? Everybody on GitHub assumes everybody knows how to use GitHub. I mean, but to our detriment, everybody on Linux thinks everybody knows how to use Linux. So right, yeah, no, I, I get it. No, all around, both, both ways. Okay, hold up. Because I don't download crap off GitHub a lot. How do you download this thing? Where are we? Which style thing? pack. Uh, style pack. Uh, I got raw blame. Go to file. Little yes, drop down uh, thing doesn't give me jack. Style pack. Um, there where is. where is the download? To? All right. So there is a but. Oh, jeez. It wants me to log in. I don't need to log in. Do I need to log in? Remind me later. Okay. Oh wait. Code. Oh, download zip. Ew. Right. So code. Download <sighs> zip. That's one way. <laughs> Plan B is well. You still go to code, but you copy. You copy yeah. the um, copy the thing. It's got the a text. little copy button, right? And yeah. you get clone. Boom, and you'll bring down the whole repo that way. Hold on, copy what now? Oh, uh, so what? if you hit the code button, there's a little oh. little button there code. that'll copy a link to your clipboard, right? Oh, and then get clone, and then the files are there on compressed. Get clone, Control Shift V, and yeah, but most distros don't have Git in there, and then that means you would have to go in and install Git. True. Yeah, I mean, those are your two options, though. <laughs> Coming up on this episode of Linux User Space, Browsers on Browsers, Manifest V3 is not for me. Audacity times 50 speed. Krita sees a big release. So far away, Land, from me. And tag, you're it. Hello and welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Dan. And I'm Leo. So Leo, we got a little bit of uh, feedback um, on uh, Reddit from yes. our, our Void Linux uh, episode. Um, yeah, so we cross-posted over there and got some cool feedback from uh, user uh, Duncan? Duncan? Dun yeah, Duncan. Something like that. Yeah, sounds... But we got a link in the show notes to, to his profile if you want to go check it out. But mm -hmm. um, he provided quite a few links for us to take a look at that we didn't find in time for our Void Linux episode. Um, one of them, and this seems to be mostly erased from the internet, mm. but did you know, Dan? Dan, did you know? Void Linux was almost called Vanilla Linux. Well, and that really makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, it, very much like Arch, right? I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff is just unconfigured very, uh, or, you know, configured as default. And it lets, lets you assemble it all together so the way you want. So it's very vanilla. Exactly. So I, I thought that was super interesting. And XBPS source. Uh, the kind of, I guess you can think of it as like the, the AUR uh, analog yeah, the in Void build. Linux. Yeah. Yeah, they had uh, that named as PKGFS originally. Mm. Okay. So just some nifty information. 
and uh, some other stuff like the the very first ever bring up of XBPS. Uh, there was a video of that on hmm. Juan or Extreme's uh, blog that we did not find. Yeah. We've got a link to that as well in the show notes. So that's just some really good reading about the original, uh, I guess, original thought process and stuff like that behind uh, Void Linux. So if you're interested, if you're still interested, if our history didn't scratch your itch, go check out that uh, set of blog posts as well. There's some information that we didn't add to the show. Yeah, no, it's an amazing bit of history there. It was... A uh, fantastic distribution to research. We'll have the links in the show notes, and you can go check them out, too. We also got a, a couple of emails from Kyle S., and this was uh, related to a couple of app focuses that we've we've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, uh, StylePack and uh, System Monitoring Center. So uh, we were like uh, Kyle's uh, rubber ducky, if you will. And uh, like it, like his soundboard so that he, he sent us two emails. The first one, um, I'll, I'll basically, he says, he thanks us for the podcast and he's extremely grateful for the information and entertainment that he gets from us, which is, well, thank you for listening and for your support and your feedback. So that's exactly why we do it. Exactly. Um, he says he's new to Linux. He's only been around since like 2018. Um, but he was trying to get StylePack and System Monitoring Center installed on his Linux Mint 20.2 system. So it can be a little confusing. So I completely understand where you're coming from. And, you know, Linus Tech Tips recently did some videos. We talked about those a little bit, too. And um, they bumped into some of the same stuff. When you're When you're trying to run things from GitHub, it's not always, you know, glaringly obvious. And uh, yeah. I, I I get I get that that's a that's a tricky deal. Um, and so at the end of his first email, he says, uh, "Can you point me to a web page that explains Barney style what to do <laughs> with these types of files so I can learn how to install them?" And yeah, uh, yeah no, um, we we could probably do a little better uh, just just verbally um, on on how to do some of these things, and we'll try to do that I guess in the future as well. But in particular, um, two different styles of applications here. So one you can download mm-hmm. as a as a Debian file for his, his Linux Mint distribution. That would be System Monitoring Center. And he figured that out, right? He says, oh, yeah. Deb. Yeah, the answer yeah. is double click on it, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, because at first he was trying to, he was extracting it. And yes, you can extract a Debian file with your archive management tools Mm -hmm. and pull all of the bits out of it but that is really not the way you want to go installing it obviously right he figured it out use gw which he had installed or you can use there's a there's other tools too right or if you really want to get down to it you can just do apt install path to your your deb that you download. Th- that's it. actually and, usually how I'll do it and, and, um, and, on a fresh install yeah. of a, like a like a Debian based system. Uh, I have to go out and get VS Code because it adds its own repo mm-hmm. and uh, like Microsoft Edge because I like to test in it mm-hmm. and Discord because it's it's quicker. Um, and sure. d- so a few a few different devs. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll do apt install. Uh, what is it? Um, star dot deb something like that. I'll have them all in my download sure. folder. It'll be empty, right? 
uh, because it's a fresh install. I'll download all my devs and then do a uh, do an apt install of all the devs in there, and it'll get taken care of uh, super fast. So I don't have to double click on each of them, right? And then click install, and then double click on the next one, and click install. So it's just a nice way to kind of do that. But we've we've entered nerd territory. We have. We have. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you get down to it and you figure out, well, I don't have a thing, apt is there for you right. to do that, right? Specifically with elementary, right? You oh, have, yeah. You, you don't get one out of the box. You have to go find one. And if as long as you yeah. know that Eddie is the Eddie answer. Eddie is the GW for, you know, elementary. Yeah. Right. I, I get you. Um, no. So remember, though, if you are in the in the terminal... Remember, tab completion can be your friend. That lets you know that you're on the right track, potentially. Right. You know, as far as, you know, it doesn't make you have to type out the whole name of something and forget that, oh, part of that was an uppercase because case does matter. And a lot of the devs that you'll download, I don't know if you've noticed this, Leo, but they're uppercase, lowercase, numbers, hyphens, oh, dashes, yeah. underscores. I mean... I'm not trying to type all that. I oh, get the first letters done where, where there's no ambiguity there. Hit, hit tab and it just yes. takes care of the rest because yeah, it's like 100 don't, characters long. I'm, not, I'm yeah, not doing that. Don't drive yourself nuts. Use tab. Um, he found the answer, G which was just double click on it. And GW GW's cool. Uh, use GW. Right. That, that, that'll work great. So, okay, that one's easy, out of the way, got it installed. Nice. The other one is a shell script. So, um... You Here need, we go. You, yeah, I know. We downloaded a shell <laughs> script from the internet, and uh, here we are. Um, although he, he stumbled around and, and did figure this out, too. Um, well, he moved it to his, his home folder under bin, which is great. That's a great place to put. That's a good place to organize all of your binary executable things that are mm -hmm. yours for your user. I'll, I'll totally agree with that. And then you want to execute that and it's not in your path. So you have to tell it that it's in this folder. So that's what the dot slash yeah. is going to do, right? Prepending the, the, the binary name or shell script name right there's there's a bit of a trick there though uh if there was never anything in your home folder in bin right then you will need to reboot before bin is added to your path automatically you can add it uh and then you know do that whole process but it's just easier to just like chuck something in bin restart and then bin is already added to your path, and you don't have to like go into bash need RC. To reboot. And, you might just uh, restart your maybe session. Maybe a logout. Yeah, restart yeah, your session. Right, there. right. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't know. I guess I just reboot all the time because there's always kernel updates that, I, that I'm waiting on. Yeah, depending on what you're doing. But re, restart right. your session at least, and then uh, and then it'll source the you know the the new path. That's the, exactly. You can force it to do that, but that's complicated, and don't do that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not yeah, <laughs> just 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 restart your session, restart your machine, whatever you're gonna do, and it'll take care of it for you. That might have been part of it. Could be the problem that you were that you were seeing where you were typing in style pack and it didn't work. Right. That that may have actually had something to do with it. Uh, bin may not have been part of your path at that time. The other thing is when you downloaded that, um, it may not have had the executable flag associated with it. Also true. So you could change the mode on that and add the executable flag. Some of the file managers will also let you do that. If you just right-click the file, and you could say mm -hmm. make executable. Um, that's an option too. It sounds like he's on Mint. So yeah, just right-click properties and there's a right. little checkbox underneath um, 
I forget what tab it is, but under at the very bottom of the permissions stuff, right. uh, you'll see a allow allow to run or allow execution or something like that. You check that box, hit OK, and you're good. So there's that as well, right? So, all right. It sounded like you figured that out. Got the thing to run, which is great. So then he tried to add his theme. Did that successfully. Tried to add it as a system. Didn't need to do that because probably mm-hmm. because it's already installed as a system theme. Right. Um, okay. So, so there, there's a couple of issues here, right? Like you're already on Linux Mint. So I think the theme, and I checked before we started recording, the theme is part, uh, is a flat pack already and it's right. already installed. So, uh, I don't know that you actually need to do that. Right. Um, if you had a different theme though, say you had art right. or, or something like that that didn't come with Mint. You know, by right, default, right. you you might want to run this, right? So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, what? yeah it's those it's those wacky themes, wacky uh, themes? like the Mac theme that that is no that is not default in any distribution, and you know they haven't thought about it far enough or cared about it enough to go and add that to Flatpak so that it will be consistent. Yeah. So here's the other thing. It sounded like you tried to run a couple of applications that were cute based and not gtk and one thing we we totally neglected to mention was or maybe we did and we just kind of glossed over it i don't remember well i feel like it was my oversight because mostly i deal in gtk applications just recently am i starting to move over to the k you know whatever the cute stuff that Uh uh-huh and and the the one k app that i do have installed is krita and that's dark by default and the header bar is I mean, it looks right. So I was fooled. Right. I was fooled into thinking it was integrating into my system, but it actually wasn't. It just, it just luckily, it, yeah. it, I lucked into it being uh, a good looking app on Linux Mint. So that's another thing, though. Some applications don't really take the system theming anyway. So yeah, like Audacity um, or Telegram or, you know, because they have their own built in. Yeah tools for that right so right. you got to remember that as well um but we didn't touch on the cute versus gtk application different differentiation there either or if we did we totally glossed over it um so style pack is only going to work for your gtk flat packs really yeah i think i think what we did do was we specific we said gtk apps mm-hmm. and then just left it at that and right. th- yeah, but but it totally leaves out in the cold anybody that's trying to run QT apps. And I did verify. I mean, I went in, uh, I installed KCalc and Kid3, wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, both of those were light mode, which is not what I wanted. Yeah. And none of them kind of conformed to the GTKness of my Mint desktop. Right. Yeah, I think that was just a bit of an oversight on my part on that. So there are some limitations there um, with StylePack. I think we've summarized most of uh, the emails here and answered answered the final question. Um, it says, if you have any Flatpak recommendations to highlight whether the theming is actually being shared, I would love to try and see if I have actually, you know, actually have this working. You probably do. Like, I, what I'm saying is you probably do have this working, um, but a couple of the applications that you tried aren't going to highlight that for you. So, right. So I have a love for StylePack because most of what I'm running, you know, I'm on a QT desktop, right? So 
most of the flat packs that I'm running, I want them to look a little more like my QT theme. So, yeah. and, right. and, and like, I don't have any GTK themes installed. Yeah, this actually might work way better on better a QT for me. based desktop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Better for me. Because the, the apps that would look weird in a QT based desktop would be the GTK apps. And this is a way to force GTK apps to conform to. Right the the qt style well you know huh. so there's there's like a you know breeze gtk or you know breeze right. dark gtk you know they, those exist so i can make you know it can make that look a little more natural so yeah kind of nice so I, I guess the bottom line on this one is that style pack probably wouldn't have helped you very much in mm -hmm. in uh in your situation because linux mint's pretty diligent about that kind of thing and have has already added your theme as a flat pack so probably about as good as it's going to get at this point. Yeah. Sadly, those QT applications are going to lag behind a little. Darn those QT applications. Every time. Nah. Every, it's always the QT apps that look weird. Dan, you need to tell them to fix that. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We're about to break it again. It, it's okay. Yeah. You you can have any theme you want. Just as long as that theme is Edwaita. Edwaita. I know. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kyle, for the emails. Um, we really do appreciate it. It it's I'm I'm glad we were able to talk about it and uh, you know, hopefully it'll help somebody else. All right, Leo. Uh time for some topics. Our almost always favorite uh browser watch is is first Our up. Perennial, perennial browser watch. Perennial. Here it is again. We made it. Yeah, and it used to be Firefox, only Mozilla Watch, but now now we've we've expanded, and this is going to expand even further with this first topic. Um, yeah. So DuckDuckGo has sort of in in a different in a blog post announced that they're going to come out with a with a browser too. Right, but as they they already had a browser, right? They had the mobile browser on they still Android have that, and I iOS, think. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They do. So that is basically a skin on top of Chrome, um, more or less. But it, it adds some security things and privacy, you know, a lot like when you add the extension, browser extension for DuckDuckGo, how that'll block some of your, mm -hmm. you know, some of those things um, already. The mobile version is very much like that, right? Um, right. But this is... Yeah, it kind of, kind of in the same way that Vivaldi... Is a skin on Chromium? Yeah, uh, I think not yeah, quite duck, that duck, far, go. but close. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this first blog post that we're we're reading here, um, they say that it's not going to be based on Chromium or uh, Mozilla, which the details are very uh, sketchy. I guess as far as the implementation details, or, or you know, just not available yet. Um, but it's going to be different. There's a quote. It says, instead of forking Chromium or anything else, we're right. building our desktop app around the OS-provided rendering engines like on mobile. Mm -hmm. So on mobile, they're using, well, I suppose, Chrome on Android, mm -hmm. and they're using the Safari engine on iOS. They have to, yeah. So, I, so it sounds like what they're doing, I mean, there is no built-in Windows. Well, I don't know about uh, Windows, but like maybe WebKit, I guess, or... Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what this Maybe. means. Like we, none of us really know what this. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we haven't, we haven't heard very much more about this. But I mean, 
So DuckDuckGo's browser that was on mobile will now be on the desktop. Mm-hmm. But details are scarce. I'm a little bit interested, though. I- I'm interested as well. In whether or not this is going to be a browser that is supported, uh, that that supports Linux at launch. I would hope. I, I I do too because I think a lot of folks that tend to run Linux also tend to skew more private. Not all. I mean, obviously, there's there's no way to paint everybody in a group with one brush. But I would suppose that the more people that run Linux, uh, you know, the, the people that do run Linux are more privacy aware mm-hmm. than other folks. I think it's just because, I don't know, you got to be at least slightly more nerdy to even consider Linux in the first place. Yeah. And that kind of lines up a lot with uh, privacy concerns. Yeah, I think it aligns. And uh, I I see no reason why they wouldn't be able to probably come out on multiple platforms, if not all at once out of the gate shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. That is going to be something pretty interesting because they have this really cool fire button, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of like private mode right. in all the other browsers when you're done with you know being private. You just close the window and you Oof. know everything yeah. is gone. Destroyed. They have a button for that, but it's in the main normal browser. Right. So you don't really have to worry too much about um, you know having leaving tabs open. Think of, think of like shredding your tab, yeah. right? I mean, that's kind of cool. That's exactly what it is. Yep, absolutely. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see that browser because I would suppose that the DuckDuckGo search mm-hmm. is going to be default oh, in that browser as well. Little, little, you know, those little bits are probably going to be sprinkled about, which would be cool. Um, right. And I, I guess this is a good thing, right? Because mm-hmm. if the DuckDuckGo, uses, uh, DuckDuckGo browser uses DuckDuckGo search, by default, that's going to bolster their 46% yeah. increase in search traffic that we saw this year. Yeah, that's a big and increase. That's impressive. Yeah, it is a big increase. And um, it's going to it's going to push it forward towards the top. Mm, I mean, I don't know what I guess there's a few that are kind of hovering, uh, you know, up there, right? So you've got Google's obviously the one that's at the top, right? Everybody's chasing. Yeah, I've Google. got I've got hard numbers for you. Okay, this is yeah, like go. um, this is like the the desktop wars, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Windows has a massive share. Yeah, it's way Mac OS has a sizable share, and Linux exists. Yeah. So this is the same way. Yep. Google Google search traffic is eighty seven percent. That's pretty high. Then you've got Bing. Yeah, I figured that was nice. Distant second at about six percent. Wow. Yahoo at three percent and DuckDuckGo at two and a half. Okay. So so Yahoo's in, in the sites there, really, at that Yes. We're about to see DuckDuckGo over the next few years likely surpass Yahoo mm-hmm. as uh the third best search engine. It's not a bad place to be. Right. And I, I feel like um I mean most everybody sets Google as the default search engine. So they get a lot of that. I mean, I personally go in and set Firefox to DuckDuckGo, but I don't imagine most people do. What comes that way out of the box? I mean, people, you know, open up Firefox and Google's your thing. And if you don't ever change it, which a lot of people probably don't. And um, I suppose every browser does this, right? I mean, well, every major browser. Does Vivaldi, what is Vivaldi set to? uh, Bing, I think. Is it Bing? Yes, I think so. Yeah, Edge is Bing as well, obviously. Um, um, yeah, Chrome and Chromium are obviously Google. Yeah, Chrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm. I mean, you know, it's a, it's you know, 
because the browsers themselves are probably more prevalent, you know, Chrome, uh, that is, it is obviously going to take over the search. Uh, I mean, it just comes that way out of the box. And then the, the second most popular browser, Firefox, right, um, also comes with Google. Um, mm -hmm. that, that, that creates an uphill battle, I feel like. So. Right. But anyway, it's interesting, though, uh, that the DuckDuckGo search has made it up that far that fast. They that have not good. been around yeah. as long as Yahoo's been around, and yet they're they're nipping at their heels. Um, so Brave Search, right? I mean, I don't know where they are on the list, but... Um, Off the list, as far as your heart numbers. I would hope that these guys do a little high five. Brave and DuckDuckGo just need to do a little high five. Mm -hmm. And you know, put their heads together and make something fantastic. Yeah, I think there's a lot of room for that kind of thing. I, I do too. I do do uh, col collaboration would be cool there. Mm -hmm. But speaking of Brave, yes, Brave has added some additional privacy components that nobody else has. So just recently, they have added um, network state tracking blocking for pretty much everybody. All right. So weird words to mean yes, that in, in almost every single browser, uh, there are some little bits of information that websites can glean from your browser, like what DNS resolved the name to bring you here? What kind of fonts are you using within your browser? Uh, what certificates have you brought along with you? What kind of cache is is stored back behind all of this stuff? And well, while Firefox has made a whole lot of inroads as mm -hmm. to blocking pretty much all of that, they haven't done this yet. If you can kind of think of the multi-tab container thing that we've been talking mm -hmm. about in Firefox, um, this is not groupings of tabs. This is every tab. So every tab is isolated away from every other tab, and they will let information that, that pertains to the page get in and out, but not between tabs. Right. So you don't end up with a situation where you know, you're shopping on one tab and going to Facebook on the other, and now Facebook knows absolutely everything about yeah. what you're shopping for, where you've been, where you're going, what you click, you know, how fast, where your eyes are, where your mouse is, all this stuff. So then you get a bunch of ads about the things that you just were looking at over on the shopping site in your Facebook now. Exactly, right? So this is just something that I feel like is just interesting mm -hmm. that, uh, again, nobody else has. So Yeah. Well, all, you know, all these websites, they try to make a fingerprint of you, if you will, and, and collect right, all right. the things and put it all together. And so... Any little bit that you can dismantle and turn those into crumbs rather than a fingerprint, um, I think that's that's a good idea because then, yeah. then you don't get this stuff that carries over and uh, targets you. Targets you. That's that's the word. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So the, the coolest thing about this is that Brave and Firefox are pretty much now neck and neck mm -hmm. as far as yeah. privacy features goes. But Brave pulls ahead just slightly in that Firefox never clears this information not yep. when you close the tab not when you close the site not when you close mm. the tab grouping not when you close the window not never that stuff is back there unless you go in and manually clear your cache and all this right other kind or of private crust. browsing or something crazy like that right right so like the private browsing section would right. clear that, that out like not you don't surf every page that way yeah 
Exactly. So you've got to go in and manually do that. Um, but Brave does it nice. after you leave the site. So not not just not just when the tab is closed. They go further. If you go from nice. you know Microsoft.com to um, you know Brave.com, it's cleared it when you stuff. leave the website. Right. So Brave, even if they wanted to, couldn't even glean the information about where you cool. came from. So that's really cool. Um, Safari does a lot of this as well, and and they clear it when the browser's closed. Um, but that's pretty much it. Chrome and Edge, no and never. They 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 don't partition mm -hmm. off any of that information from any other tab, um, and they'll never clear it out either. So you pretty much have your entire browsing cache just ripe uh, between Chrome and Edge uh, for Facebook or whoever decides they want to dip their hand in that cookie jar and figure out where you've been, who you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you want to buy, all that kind of stuff. But Brave Firefox and Safari are way ahead. Mm -hmm. in uh in that so nice hmm privacy stuff privacy stuff and i'm just happy that uh between firefox and brave those two browsers tend to be dragging everybody else into the future <laughs> they do they definitely and, do and, and chrome will do it too after they can no longer make any money off of you by by doing it so and then i guarantee you there'll be a blog post where it's like Guess what, users? We're respecting your privacy now by no longer allowing third-party cookies to be shared between two yeah. different tabs. Well, they found some other way to do that for, you know. Yeah. yeah they... Well, flock, right? <laughs> they, they've already done it. And, you know, once once they have to kill it, they'll spin it as positive to the user. Don't worry. We're going to look at this, but we, we you know, now we got this. Yeah, Chrome was the right choice. Mm -hmm. Right choice. Yeah. And Edge is not really that much better. So, mm. yeah. Mm. You uh, added another link here, Leo, and I've got to ask. So, yeah, another browser? Really? Okay, hold on. I, I was doing some research for a separate, slightly unrelated topic and stumbled upon, okay, so Ghostery is an extension that's been around for a little while, mm -hmm. and they were yep. probably one of the original groups that figured out how to block tracking how to this cross site tracking stuff this third party cookie stuff this is this was probably for for a good 5 or so years your best bet to keep advertisers off your tail mm -hmm. yep and it blocked a lot of ads too but i think uh you know something like ghostery and adblock plus at the time yep i, I think uBlock origin uBlock was or in its formative years yeah. but adblock plus i think was probably the de facto standard at the time that was very popular yeah, so between Adblock Plus and Ghostery, you had a pretty fantastic Adblock and tracker blocking suite, and it was pretty browser independent. Yeah, extensions and whatnot, you can add them anywhere, right? Right. So, Ghostery now has a browser. I don't know how long they've had a browser. I didn't go in and actually research, but I have to add it to Browser Watch because it's a browser. Yeah. It's called Ghostery Dawn, and it looks like it's a Mozilla fork. It's it, a Firefox it, it fork. It looks very, you know, Firefox-esque. Yeah, and and I I I'm I'm not positive if this is like uh pre-quantum or not. It doesn't look like it is. I think it it looks modern, but it doesn't yep. have it does the the thinner the thinner icon set that came with this most recent what was it like 70 whatever. I don't know. It was it was or 90 something. I don't know, remember. But anyway, the, a recent 90 something update changed the uh the icons and uh some of the theming around Firefox 
So I'm not I'm not exactly sure what it's forked off of, but the coolest thing about it though is that as I mentioned before, you know, AdBlock Plus and Ghostry together were a really good ad and tracking prevention kind of duo. Ghostry has just integrated it into the browser itself. So if you're looking for a browser that is no muss, no fuss, you just turn it on and you're you're you're, you know, probably one of the best tracking prevention type browsers that you can get your hands on. This is this is it. And the reason that it made BrowserWatch is a Linux version. I see that. Yes. Yep. This is cool. I'm I'm probably, you know, hey, why not? Let me add it to my <laughs> list of uh l- lengthy <laughs> browsers that I have installed on this machine and and add it to the list and get it installed and and see what it's all about and hopefully we can talk about it again in a future uh browser watch. Right. I stopped uh I I stopped using Ghostry a while back when uh Firefox started adding in a lot of the tracking protection and uh pretty much just went with the built-in stuff with uBlock Origin and it's yep. been pretty good but I think it's worth a look. Yeah, it looks all right. I mean, you could probably install it and just go out of the gate without having to to mess around a little bit potentially, right? Right. Exactly. Right, right. You don't have to add anything to it. It's it's, it's just it's out of the box, ready to go. So that is really cool. But we've been talking about, over the past few topic episodes, we've been talking about Brave Search. We've been talking about DuckDuckGo yep. Search. Well, they did that too. Yeah. So Ghostry also has, Dawn is their browser, D-A-W-N, mm-hmm. yep. and Glow is their search, search engine. And it works as you expect it to. These guys don't um track you they don't remember you they forget all your searches and just give you generally good searches so you can do that with um an add-on obviously it's built into the the ghostry dawn yeah uh, browser but you can get it with an add-on to your browser as well so that is just really cool so obviously you can go to uh it's glowstery so g l o w s t e r y dot com. Uh, yeah, we'll have a link too. Yeah, we'll definitely have a link. Um, it's pretty. If it, nothing it, else, it does look nice. And I will say, there's a couple of uh, uh you know, there's another uh extension here. It looks like it's it's called Insights, and basically mm. uh, gives you some feedback on um, you know, trackers and things that you know requests and you know, what it blocked, I guess, too, probably, and latency on pages, and I don't know, that looks pretty cool if you want to really dive in and see what, what your what your browser is blocking and, you know, that sort of stuff, what, what your browser is doing and the performance of it. That looks pretty cool, too. Right, and if you use Glowstory uh, as a search, uh, a lot of those insights are added directly into the web page, so, like, you can, you know, whatever you Google mm. next to the URL, not not the big link that you click on but slightly underneath the description and everything you see the url there's a circle colored circle and a number mm-hmm. that will yep. tell you so like i searched up ubuntu and you can see all trackers seen on ubuntu.com mm-hmm. you can see five advertising trackers three site analytics trackers four cdn trackers one essential tracker two social media trackers one hosting tracker so it's got yeah. All of this information, and if you want, you can click on the the statistical report and get who these trackers actually are. So, if you if you want to say, 
well, I don't mind those particular trackers. You can actually back that up by saying, well, because I know who those trackers are and, you know, I like their privacy policy or, you know, whatever. I mean, honestly, the trackers always Google, so I don't know how I, I trust right. them as far as I can throw them. Right, but, right. You know, but it's there. I, I think um, for for privacy conscious folks, uh, it's a really good search engine because it's going to give you, I, I think, results on par with Brave and DuckDuckGo sure. searches. Um, but it's also going to give you the added benefit of looking at what it is that you're going to get yourself into when you click on oh, yeah. that link. It gives you the heads up view of where, where where am I going here? Right, right. Makes you scratch your head. Do I want to go there? I mean, you probably do anyway. I mean, you, you probably, probably wouldn't will, search yeah. it up otherwise. But I mean, you know what you're getting into. And I think, um, you know, you can ignore the information. That's totally fine. Yeah. Knowledge is power, though. Yeah. Yeah. The information is there for you to see and make a decision based on. And I think that's that's pretty fantastic. So who would have thought? Ghostery entered the browser game. I don't know when. Maybe I'll figure that out. But that's, uh, that's pretty cool. It's an option. How weird. Well, didn't know. Now we do. So uh, this uh, this this next topic. Uh, Fitch tinfoil hat on, folks. Yes. Get it, get it out of the drawer. Get dust it, it off. Get it aligned and polished up and shiny. Um, you know, right up here. We're gonna we're gonna dig up some uh, some scuffles from 2019 and talk about what it means to us now. Um, I guess a quick synopsis is gonna be. Uh, I, I guess this is the uh, this is your cue to skip ahead to the next topic if you don't want to hear about this. So, Manifest <laughs> V2 is something that Google has been using as their extension platform for years, mm -hmm. and in 2019 they announced a move to Manifest V3. And they claimed at the time, I mean, they still claim that this move is going to protect users and it's going to speed up the way we experience the web. That sounds like great stuff, right? I want to be protected and I want my web to be fast. That's so how you market things. What's not to love? Mm. Lots of things, apparently. Back in 2019, as this was announced, you had devs like Gorehill of uBlock Origin and I've, I've got quotes later of others complaining that manifest v3 will fundamentally break the way their extensions work by preventing the usage of an api called web request i mean web request is an api that allows you to basically manipulate elements that come up on a web page okay right so if you've ever used ublock origin you've gone to a web page and where you would expect to see the ad that you saw before you remembered to install mm -hmm. ublock origin it's just content. Like the content is taken from where it would have been and scooted up yep. into where the ad was. That is what the web re request API would allow you to do. Much more than that. But it allowed you to manipulate things on the page. Right. As an extension. So you weren't the web page or anything like that. This is uBlock Origin doing a bunch of amazing magic in the back yep. to make your web browsing experience way, way better. Right. Uh, every time I forget to install uBlock Origin, I click on a web page and I'm like, wow. And that took twice as long to load up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, after hearing all of that, I was actually pretty dismayed to hear that Mozilla, short time later, uh, I, I couldn't get a lock on the, the day that um, uh, Google announced that they were going to do Manifest V3. But, it, but uh, shortly after that in September, Mozilla announced that they would align as much as they could to Manifest V3 so that extension creators can easily port over their code to Firefox. Um, that made me sad because 
of what Gore Hill and a lot of the other developers were saying about how this is going to basically break their extensions. Well, turns out, though, uh, I didn't need to be dismayed, but we'll get to that yeah. in a little bit. So the whole point of, of Firefox kind of aligning to Manifest V3 was to make sure that um, developers that were developing for the broader Chromium uh, ecosystem of extensions could easily, with a couple of tweaks, just port it over to Firefox, right? That's why you see so many of these extensions in both right. the Chrome and the Mozilla add-on store. So um, they also noted, though, but the way that they said it, the way that they said it <laughs> was weird. Like, like we, um, we're probably going to, you know, continue adding web requests as an API or something like that, right? The way that it read sounded like mealy mouth politicking, mm -hmm. and I didn't like the way that they put it forward. So in the back of my mind, it was, is Firefox going to do this or not? So anyway, again, that'll, that'll come up a little bit uh, in a little bit. But I've always maintained that Google's move to Manifest V3 and the dev's response, I mean, the people on the ground that know how these API changes are going to affect them and their extensions, they said that it was going to break ad blocking and pro-privacy and anti-tracking extensions. But I've always maintained that, it, that, that the move to Manifest V3 wasn't exactly what they were saying. It wasn't to, you know, protect users and speed up the way we experience the web. It was because Google's de facto money maker is advertising and tracking. Well, yeah, yeah, they're an advertising company, right? So if so, if they can write a standard that would basically sidestep all of these extensions' efforts to tamp down on Google's ability to track us here and there and make money off of the you know where our eyes go and what right. we click on, conflict of interest there. I I think it's it's in their best interest to make sure that that doesn't happen so enter manifest v3 mm -hmm. so this is why i was kind of dismayed that mozilla didn't didn't 100 percent stand by the fact that they were going to implement web request or not anyway remember that claim mm -hmm. we're going to protect users we're going to speed up right. the web well kevin uh borgolti of princeton and nick feemster of the university of chicago in 2020 found the opposite I think anybody that knows what uBlock Origin and Ghostery and all these other um, extensions do, you didn't need a study to know that those extensions, while they may take CPU cycles to do what they do, speed up your web traffic. Well, yeah, you're not you're not rendering images and pulling it in yes. from, you know, because they're coming in from different multiple locations, and so each one of those is a lookup someplace, and you got to pull it all in and. Anybody that's gone to a major news website with the autoplay videos oh, yeah. knows exactly what we're talking about. Even if it's here. just pictures, it's not not videos, it's still is 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 adding a lot, right? Right. Uh they wrote a paper and I, I brought a quote out from that paper that I feel is um extremely important and it really kind of summarizes exactly what it is that they were meaning to do with this. So here's the quote. We have found no evidence that privacy-focused browser extensions substantially negatively affect performance, neither for Google Chrome nor Mozilla Firefox, contradicting Google's claim that the functionality these extensions rely on is a performance concern that justifies severely restricting privacy-focused extensions and limiting users' choice. 
to the contrary. Albeit some extensions perform worse, we identified multiple extensions for which almost all metrics indicate that they would improve user experience. But that's been our experience, just, just so you know. Yeah, some, a summary of the summary is, I think they were lying, guys. That there's, an, there's an ulterior motive there. They spun it for their you know, own advantage. Right. And I think that's the, the main thing. So, so the, the idea that I got with, their, uh, with, with Google's Manifest V3 mm-hmm. announcement and the devs that uh, pushed back against it was right. Um, there's ulterior motive there. Yep. Maybe, right? Maybe there's some, obviously there's some truth in it, in yeah. what they're saying, but I don't think they're referring to the same things that we're referring nope. to when we talk about fast web. Right. The whole reason that this all came up was that uh, the EFF has been following mm-hmm. Manifest V3 for quite a while. And recently, they've, uh, they've written an article called Chrome Users Beware. Manifest V3 is deceitful and threatening. And I don't think there's really anything particularly new in the article. But one of the things that caught my eye was that they went around and found a ton of quotes from a ton of these uh, companies and developers and just aggregated them for us. Yep. So I, I pulled out a few. There are some long ones that are really worth the read, and I, I recommend you go click on the link. So Andre Makshov of AdGuard, so an ad blocking extension, says, nearly all browser extensions as you know them today will be affected in some way. The more lucky ones will only experience problems. Some will get crippled, and some will literally cease to exist. Ouch. Gildas of single file. This is an extension that lets you save entire web pages. Mm, For single file, I consider the migration to Manifest V3 to be a major regression from a functional and technical point of view. I also, it, it also undermines some of the work done. Unfortunately, it doesn't bring any gains in return for the users. It is the very example of the collateral damage the Manifest V3 can cause. Then Ghostery, this earlier was the research I was doing on uh, on this stuff and what kind of spawned the Ghostery browser bit. But they say, Manifest V3 is a detrimental step back for internet privacy. And those are just three. There was like yeah. 10. And yeah. some of them were, were long-winded that I wanted to put in the show. I just couldn't do it for time. No, I, I get so you. Go read those. I do want to go back to the single file one, right? So that's a very popular thing for people to, you know, grab entire web pages. You don't want all the mm-hmm. the junk in there too, along with the actual content that you're trying to save. You know, exactly. If you need to reference it later, some some place, um, you know, that's just that's horrible that that gets yeah, broken. Exactly. So yeah, and those are just the short ones. So by the time you're hearing this. Manifest V3 is imminent. Mm-hmm. January 2022 is when it fully starts to go into effect. There's some additional things that happen that have to happen in 2022 for it to be in full effect. But the point of no return right. is as you hear this. It's underway. But luckily for us, I was dismayed before. But Mozilla recently doubled down on the web request support. So the thing that Manifest V3 will be removing, they're going to keep it. Nice. Which means that Ghostery, Single File, Ublock Origin, all of these uh, extensions that 
will essentially be inefficient at best mm. on Chrome. Or Chromium will still work. Yeah. Yeah, they'll they'll still work as normal on, on Firefox. Firefox, nice. That uh, another reason is to nice. use Firefox, right? I mean, and if it gives it that performance enhancement, um, a lot of people are going to look at that too. And well, I'll, uh, I'll take that even further. It is it is a good reason to use Firefox because it seems like uh, Firefox is the only one that's trying to go head to head as a tough far one. as privacy and tracking is concerned uh, up against Google. But that doesn't mean that the tracking protection that's baked into Vivaldi or baked mm-hmm. into yep. Brave is gonna um, is going to be affected by this. It's just extensions that'll be affected by this. Right. So if you got Vivaldi and then you added uBlock Origin, it'll be affected. But if you're just relying on Vivaldi's tracker Built-in and tracker. app protection, mm-hmm. that'll be fine. That that that's not going to be changed because Vivaldi's. Uh, tracker and ad protection doesn't depend on uh, manifest v3 it's not an extension it's literally written code to to handle all of this but but if your if your protection comes from extensions yeah you want firefox that's going to be the way the only way anymore uh, as far as major browsers are concerned to handle this there's just no other way around it wow so what do you, what do you think? What do you, do you use any any kind of protection kind of extensions or anything like that? Um, well, I don't on Vivaldi. Uh, I just dial that up, you know, and block the stuff there. Um, on Firefox, I do have the DuckDuckGo stuff, which does some oh, of good. those things, right? Mm-hmm. And it gives you page ratings and whatnot. Um, so I use that there. Um. I don't really use a lot of the other browsers often, just enough to test things out and see see how they work and whatnot for the most part, like right. Chromium and, and um, you know, Edge I use, but I don't add anything there, but I really only use it for work things and I don't go anywhere else with Edge. So I'm just going to, you know, work related stuff right so, oh yeah so so you're 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 essentially your tracking profile there is basically all work related anyway so there's nothing whatever. to track I, yeah it's not i'm not going yeah. to any commercial you know sales or any of those types of things right, right. yeah and i keep i keep my work profile nice and neatly inside of chrome mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean yeah, i totally so the same understand thing. that yeah same thing yeah exactly because we use we use the drive suite well we're we're Microsoft, so I mean, you know, so I'm using using the edge there, so meh, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So but but I think both both of us, we know what we're getting into when we're mm-hmm. using those browsers and using those services. Right. Um, but I think it's it's a lot of the Google Chrome folks that use Google Chrome because Google Chrome was on the Google Chrome page on the Google page that they clicked on and it's you know it said popular. it was fast. It's crazy popular. Right. Yeah. No. Right. Th- this is this is a this is a lament, a lamentation for mm-hmm. them, that maybe it's enough to get you on a different Chromium browser, but maybe it's enough to get you on Firefox, because for as much as we want to talk about Firefox and how they're doing the wrong thing, yeah, they're doing the right thing here. This is the and right thing, yeah. Th- this is an important thing. This, this is, this is thing. what we hope for. Right, because Manifest V3 is imminent now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's happening. I so, think if somebody's going to grab uh, another browser to be different, they're probably looking at Firefox. 
Yeah. Um, that's that's probably the number two thing that you would go grab to be different. Right. So go get it. Go get it. Get off Chrome. You know what? If the, if you if you take nothing away from this other than get off Chrome, I'll be happy with that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what browser you use. I mean, even Edge to some extent. Get off of Chrome. Right. Yeah, do that. I agree. All right, Leo. Uh, here is a bold claim from a product that uh, we've endorsed in the past. Um, <laughs> a pe- you know, piece of software. To our detriment. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. And uh, we still continue to use it, though. So there, there's that uh, as well. Yep. Um, so Audacity, uh, new new release, three dot one dot three, um, and they're they're boasting a fifty times speed up to to loading projects. So that that's a bold claim, I've got to say. And it's bold. I don't know. I mean that. That's a tough one to time, but uh, I feel like uh, that might be a little over the top, potentially. Maybe it is. I don't have have the tooling. Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't have the tooling to get you the hard numbers to say, no, it's 48. They were wrong. You know, I I don't have that. But what I can say is that I do a lot of audio editing, Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) you know. Yeah, yeah, we do a podcast. (laughs) When I opened up yours and my projects, Mm -hmm. um, after I got done with them in Audacity, I can open them up again. Um, You know, I would normally get a progress bar. It would take a second or two. Not long, but a little bit, yeah. Right, exactly. Now, on the newest 313, nothing. I double click on the project. So it's definitely faster. There, yeah. So I don't know about fifty, but it's definitely been sped up, mm. and that is well, that's great. Nice. That's great. Yeah, and th- there's some other uh, there's some other nice things. There's some user interface um, uh, updates that they've done to it. I, I really feel like they're doing really good work back there. But I really feel like this is this is this is not really well. It's been quiet a for a little podcast. while, right? So it's been been quiet for a little right. while in the Audacity land. Well, I, I feel like a lot of it's running under the radar, and I also well, feel good. like a lot of it is <laughs> the fact that there are a lot of people that wrote Audacity off after right. the news group takeover because of the tracking and whatever, and then they, they walked that back, and then they said, well, it'll be opt-in, and then, you know, but everybody was still upset with them for, you know, having even uttered the word tracking right. at all. So, you know... Audacity is good. I still use it all of the time. Audacity, not not a fork, not one of the others, right, not right, tenacity, right. not whatever. Every single episode, and I still use it for any of the additional stuff that we do. So I feel like the bigger question than you know what's new in Audacity is, is Audacity still on everyone's no install list? Do you still, I mean, are are you one of the folks that sit back and say, oh, well, you know, the one in the Ubuntu repo is still yeah. fine, so I install that one, so you use, use Audacity that way, or have you just taken to using Tenacity or some other of the of the forked projects, or do you use the latest and greatest Audacity like I do? Or do what's, you use one of the alternatives the that uh, we recommended a while back, too? And, you know, maybe maybe use, you know, K-Wave or, you know, uh, the GNOME sound recorder or something. If you're just doing a really quick recording, maybe you just use one of those. Well, do you go 
full on DAW and and get into like Ardour and 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 stuff like that. If you're right, I mean, because that's an option too, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, so where I'm, do you draw the I'm, line? I'm curious. Yeah. And and even if you don't do any kind of um any any kind of audio editing or or production or anything like that, would Audacity still be on your no install list? Right. I'm just curious what the general temperature is in the room cuz I didn't like it, but I didn't really worry about it too terribly much either. Right. And then once they came out and said that uh the tracking was going to be off by default. Yeah, they they walked it all back. Why not? I don't. I don't see why not. Right. I, I mean, think if they'd have came out of the gate with that to begin with, there would have never been any hubbub. I don't know. Linux Linux folks really like to talk about telemetry all of the time. They do, but so, if it's not on, then uh, what is there to complain about? I think that that's it, true. It, it got shot back a little bit, at least. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate that it's there, but uh, it would have been a lot less. It would have been subdued. Uh, as far as yeah, you know, yeah, it, it would have it would have been the hardliners only, as opposed right. to the hardliners and the privacy conscious folks, right? Um, yeah, definitely. So, so what's your take on it? What what do you think is Audacity on your list to uh, to <laughs> install if you need to do a little recording or something like that, or is it still on the uh uh-uh, never gonna touch it ever again because they messed up this one time? Well, I, or I mean, two I, times. I don't know. Maybe they messed up more. I just don't know about it, right? Definitely, dear listener. Please let us know and uh, what you think. But I'll let you know what I think. I'm okay with it as as well, like you, Leo. Um, you know, none none of that stuff is on by default, so whatever. I guess. Um, it records, you know, my audio, and I can do some light manipulation to it, and uh, I'm good. If if that's yeah. the thing, so yeah, it, it is not. I, I could do it in a different tool, um, but it works probably easier and better than most of the other ones. So there's that. All right. So if uh, here here's another tool that is uh, I don't know if we've recommended, but it's a, it's a very cool uh, tool. Um, not for audio, for visual things. This is Krita. Krita five has been released and. Uh, it's seen some major updates, I will say. I feel like this this has got some feature feature enhancement. It deserves the whole number from four to five. Yeah. It deserves that bump because it's got a lot of new stuff. There there is so much here. It's jam-packed. Um couple well well, one big thing that I, I'll highlight that it didn't have that it probably needed was the uh, storyboard editor feature. Um, you know, some of the other, um, editors have, have that and, uh, this, this catches them up a little bit. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. Yep. I I have a couple illustrators in my life and Mm -hmm. one of them has specifically said that Krita is not an option because it does not have storyboarding Mm. built in. There are tools, $200, $300 tools that have this stuff built in yep. and they would rather pay the money to those companies than use Krita because it didn't have it. You could you could kind of like cobble it together for yourself, but I mean it's not the same. It's not, not the same, same as having a real storyboard editor. So that I think is the is the biggest thing there. Um but it also comes with a revamped animation system and while I am no illustrator um, nor am I any really good with graphics at all. Yeah, well, same here. This has kind of piqued my interest because, <laughs> yeah. you know, before the show we were talking about, you know, maybe we want a little bit more flair 
on the logo. And, you know, I've been dealing with as, as from the from the email uh, from Kyle earlier asking, hey, is there a is there a, you know, kind of Barney style explanation yeah. of this or that? And that's that's kind of what Terminal Tricks, my my YouTube channel was meant to be. And then it's just gotten stale. But uh, I've been looking at it again and uh, as I've got a little bit more time. Maybe that needs a little bit of a revamp. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the fact that it has a revamped animation system. Yeah, that's cool. Is is really got me looking at Krita for maybe some of these intros that uh, that I'd like to do. I mean, it's not expensive to just go buy somebody else's work, it's but not, I also but... do kind of feel like I want to learn a little bit about how this stuff works. Yeah, well, I mean, and and these tools are here, so why not try to learn? You know, with the ones that are available to us is is the way yeah. I look at it, right? And. Not not that they need it, right? But uh, you know, a little bit extra amplification mm-hmm. uh, as far as you know, talking to other people about what tools you use and how good they are and things like that. Um, it's always nice. It's yep. always nice uh, to just because you know, as as you and I know, Dan. I think um, social media is great, but word of mouth is probably the best way mm-hmm. to get people interested in whatever it is that you're doing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, just a little bit of extra help if I can figure out how the heck to use any of those tools. Well, there's um, that. I, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the other the other thing that it has is is a session recorder, which is a kind of mm-hmm. cool feature, I think. Um so, you know, it can kind of keep track of you as you build your project um yeah. along and then turn it into I guess its own uh own own thing onto itself on top of your project right so yeah think think of it kind of like a, a time-lapse video of all the things that you did during a session you can record that yeah and then turn that into a video or use it as uh, as an element of something else yep and it just it's just that, nice that it's a nice neat. little yeah. touch yeah you don't need that you could you could use obs and do that yeah you could but you know, or some other tool, but the fact that it's built in to the tool that yeah. you're already using to do the animation, the storyboarding, or whatever it is that you're doing is just a nice touch. I think that it they is. didn't have to add, but they added it. And I think it's it's quality of life stuff like that that is, hey, you know, we got the thing that you said that you wouldn't use a software until it was there. Well, it's there. Also, it's got a session recorder, so you can record it all and then pump out more content or something like mm-hmm. that. I've got to think for like educators and stuff that would be helpful. Oh, especially for something like that. Yeah, right. absolutely. So I, I think this is cool. Yep. If you're on the lookout for some kind of image editor, Krita will probably do it for you. Obviously, GIMP is still out there and will do a fantastic job. But there's there's a lot of things I want to do with logos and intros that kind of make Krita a little more appealing for me, and I, I remember saying a while back that, um, you know, I won't really consider Krita until the 5.0 because uh, I remember they were talking about 5.0. They were going to mm-hmm. bring a lot of features. They were going to do a lot of things. And there were going to be some interface changes. And I was like, well, I don't want to disrupt my GIMP workflow and learn a work another workflow. And then just to have that workflow interrupted again when 5.0 comes out. So All I right. said I would wait. And well, the wait's over. It's here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's time for me to dive in. I think so as well. I'm yeah. I'm excited to see your creations, Leo. You always seem to come up with something great. So, um, Me- mediocre at best, but I'll I'll take great. I'll take it. Well, you know, I think they're great. So that's that's cool. All right. This was an article that I that I noticed on uh, Pharonix, and I know you noticed it as well. Um, mm-hmm. 
This is about uh, Wayland. Wayland um, uses less energy than Xorg, which is pretty cool. And so this particular article was about KDE Plasma and and power consumption um, mm-hmm. there on two. Um, and that's because they they did the same thing in GNOME, but it was like a, a while back. So that wasn't really included right. in this this article. So big uh, power improvement, I guess, if you will, um, which is great for the for the mobile devices, laptops, probably and tablets in particular, mm-hmm. um, saving saving about three watts during during usage, which is. That's a lot of and, power. And that sound that that sound yeah, it sounds like a tiny amount of power, right? You say, oh, uh, I don't yeah, think so. <laughs> that's just three watts. Well, I mean, some of the some of the nicest laptops I've ever had were sixty five watt tops. Yeah. That's a, that's and a some of the laptops that right? I have now. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the laptops I have now are forty five watts. Right. So we're talking at least a five percent savings. Yeah, that's on what it is that you're doing day to day, minute to minute. That's quite a bit. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. It is. And when you're talking about multiple hours, um, that adds up. Right. You're 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 talking about an entire battery charge. Now, I get it. It might turn out to be 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes in the long run at the full life, uh, you know, 100 percent to zero percent of your battery. Yeah, but 30, 30 minutes is quite a bit of time. Yeah, especially when when you're when you're when you need that last bit of battery juice and you consider that the battery would have been dead had you been using Xorg 30 minutes ago. But because you were using Wayland, because you're on a more forward thinking distribution that that ships it, well, you got an extra 20 minutes. Yeah. 30 minutes. Maybe that is the difference between getting something out and you know panicking and searching for an outlet. Yeah, so there were some not so great things. So be- because this article was about plasma, there was a lot of benchmarks done um, by Mar- Michael Larable over at Phronics, uh on the plasma side of things. Mm-hmm. And while that slowed down performance a little bit in plasma, um, you still got that energy savings. So I think I think as far as plasma goes, it's very dependent on what it is that you're actually doing. Right. But um, but the fact that we're seeing that at at the at the beginning of the inception of these distributions adopting Wayland and using it by default, we're already seeing a lot of improvements. And Wayland, I would still consider to be pretty early yeah, as so. far as development goes. I know it's been I know it's been in development for a long time, but but you don't really know what kind of problems you're going to hit until people start using it. And now, yeah, when people you start are turning starting it on to, to the it. mainstream, I think that's when you, the problems really come out of the woodwork, right? Right. This this last. A version of, of Ubuntu yeah. just turned Wayland on by default. For GNOME, yes. Right. But as as we've heard time and time again, that very few people actually use the interim releases, mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to see massive Well, Fedora's had it on too for a little bit. And so that that's probably also another place that, that's helped, I think, uh, suss out some of these issues. Right. But if if the insinuations are to be believed, pretty much the vast majority of Linux users are on Ubuntu. So once 2204. I'm not disputing that. I just meant like people, um, you know, Fedora is fairly popular as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, that's that's another place. 
I feel like once 2204 comes out, oh, yeah. once it's oh, May, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wayland will have a lot of work ahead of it. It'll, it'll, but, it'll um, have a lot of bug reports. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it definitely will. But that's will. okay, because that's how you move forward. But uh, yeah, exactly. And I think that's going to be huge. Yep, It's I going agree. to be huge for Wayland, and that's going to be the make or break point. I don't think it's going to be break. I don't think so I think it's No, I be... think we're beyond that, right? We're beyond oh, yeah. the, uh, you know, so critical, I can't operate uh bugs we're we're into the nitpicky we're into the nitpicky things at this point we're into well obs is being finicky now yeah yeah i well, think I, a lot of that work has been done and now a it's screenshot just, it's, or something yeah uh, yeah stuff yeah, like exactly. that right but i think that polish that little that last 10 percent mm-hmm. is going to be Oof. is going to be what pushes wayland over the edge yep. and everybody decides to update it but uh, you know obviously there's going to be some distro like devon that decides <laughs> well we never ever ever Want so, Wayland. So we'll fork something and, you know, and then we'll never add Wayland. We'll be the X server forever. Well, there's going to be an X Dev One. X Dev One or, or something. Something, right? right? X, <laughs> X I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what they'll name them, but yeah, it'll, it'll only have X server. Yep. But uh, Michael Larable went even further. And uh, we, we saw an article just a little bit before actually recording the show mm-hmm. where Wayland, more often than not, has better gaming performance yeah. yep. on both KDE and GNOME. Yep. So, um, so we had KDE and GNOME, both X and Wayland, and then we had XFCE on X, kind of being somewhat of a control um, for for all of the testing. Sure. Looks like GNOME is, and and this makes sense because GNOME had adopted Wayland prior to Plasma adopting Wayland, so they just right. have had more they time. They got a head start on it. To yeah. Um, but Gnome sees the most benefit out of swapping to Wayland and this gaming performance. But that doesn't mean that Plasma doesn't see it as well. Wow. So lots of games tested. Uh, F1 2020, so it's a racing game. Uh, yeah. Formula One showed a small spread of about six frames per second between all of the options, right? So, I mean, you know, KDE Plasma on X, XFCE yeah. on X, Gnome on Wayland, you know, all six of that. Six frames, that's quite a little bit, though. And from the worst to the best was about a six frame spread, you know, and that sounds like a little bit, but just like the battery life savings of three watts, it all adds up. It all adds up. And I guarantee you, if there's, if there is a hardcore gamer in your life, ask them, can you tell the difference between (laughs) 60 frames and 54 frames? They'll tell you yes. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and you'll see the fire in the eyes. Like, are you kidding me? Fifty-four frames is trash. Yes. You know, like that that kind of thing. Um, Hundred frames are nothing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> give me, give me, yes, if you're not saturating the pipe, don't yep. even talk to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you had games like Batman: Arkham Asylum, which showed gnome improvements of about fourteen frames. Wow, that, that that's frames. a big so jump. Getting fourteen frames extra on Wayland as opposed to Xorg. And then Plasma similarly saw a five-frame improvement on Wayland as opposed to X. So the work that these desktop environments and the Wayland devs themselves are putting into this implementation is paying off. It's paying off, I and think so. we're yeah. starting to we're we're starting to see the fruits of a lot of that labor, and I'm I'm excited. You know, I'm I'm one of the nitpicky people that's like, well, OBS doesn't quite work exactly right on Wayland, so I'm going to stick with X for a little while. I'm still in that group. 
But the fact that I can look and already see that Wayland is going to be much better than X in day-to-day is exciting to me. Well, And once yeah. I'm able to use it for everything, I don't think I'll have much to complain about. Well, I mean, it's an option to, that you can switch to in, in your login manager. So yeah. if you know your game is going to operate better in in Wayland, it's just a quick log out, log back in, and you didn't have to really reboot or anything. And you yeah. can be, you know, full performance. 14 frames. Now, that is something that you will probably notice. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, I feel like if you're if you're going to start gaining, you know, 10 or you know, so frames per second. 14! You know, yes. and, and more, then it's totally worth the switch. Absolutely. So there there were, there were, and you'll notice them. If you actually click on the link that we've got in the show notes, you can actually see that there were some games that did not have a Plasma Wayland score. Uh, it's because there were a few games that just didn't work, didn't work in the Plasma Wayland session. So overall, Plasma needs some work. But again, as as I mentioned at the top of this segment, Noma's had a head start. Yep. Plasma's got some work to do, and that's perfectly okay. We knew this going into the thing. But yep. the fact that we're getting improvements already is amazing. Yep. So I feel like we're close, closing in on it a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. But I feel like we're going to have the same argument that we have with System D uh, about Wayland. <laughs> it, it, it's going <laughs> to, well, yeah, maybe. Uh, it is going to be a long way to get there, I think. Um, still, I think that last little bit is going to take a long time. But it'll be very usable, um, you know, for the most part, for a lot of people yeah. in, in that time. So uh, there's yeah. that. I agree. It's going to be good. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. The Linux and open source community has some fantastic resources. We want to make sure to highlight that. In our showcase for this episode, we want to draw your attention to the Linux Experiment YouTube channel. And I'll have a link to that. Uh, Nick does a great job with his channel. Uh, he has excellent delivery and breaks things, breaks down the content so that anyone can understand. He starts you from ground zero and builds you up from there. Now, I know, like, this came up in our meeting session, I think. We were talking about the Linux experiment. And so that was, like, that sealed the deal for me. That's why we've got to pick this YouTube channel. Because I, I know you watch it. And oh yeah, his, his content's pretty great. His, he's, his calm demeanor, um, the way he... He's a very soothing guy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just fantastic. And he... He he does have a love for elementary uh, OS, mm-hmm. and he's unapologetic. Well, pretty things, I think. He, pretty he is. things. He's unapologetic yeah. for that, right? <laughs> so he'll 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 let you know. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with that. He makes a good case for it, honestly. So I feel mm-hmm. like he he explains his position extremely well, and he does that for everything that he touches on. Really, he he you know explains the position super well. So yeah. And one one of the things, uh, one of the more recent ones that I saw him do, because uh, I've been looking at Plasma a whole lot more lately, mm-hmm. um, but he had done, and I can't remember the length of time, but it was like at least a month mm-hmm. where he spent on yep. Plasma just trying to do everything on Plasma using the KDE apps in all of their forms and kind of giving some pros and cons about it. Sure. So I saw that one. And then a uh, short time later, uh, Nicola Verandi who mm-hmm. is one of the uh, KDE Plasma devs, mm-hmm. um, did a reaction video to his 
reaction videos. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but it was it was all it was, it was all, all good, good content. Yeah. I mean, it, it was everybody was fair. Right. I I I think that's the kind of yeah. That's the, um, that's what it, Linux and community interaction that we want. Yep. I don't think not a, not a tear was shed. Nobody yelled anything. Nope. Nobody said arch by the way. Nope. Like it, it was it was nice and constructive yes. conversation I'll agree with that. about how to make things better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean so but but of course Nick was the catalyst for that. Right. And I very much appreciate um kind of the stances that he takes, what he does, the content that he puts out there. Uh, that he gave Plasma a real chance, yeah, and came out with very positive outlook, yeah, on what it is, you know, how it can improve and things like that. So, um, real, real good content. I mean, uh, look at the subscriber count. I don't think we need to give him the bump, but we don't. But uh, but it's but but I feel like we should because it's just good content. Good and if you haven't seen it yet, you should go check it out. Yep. So go go check it out. I'll have a link in the show notes and. Uh... Yeah, good stuff. Uh, feel free to send your emails to contact at linuxuserspace.show. And much like um, Kyle, we can uh, discuss it on the show. We love our patrons. Thanks to everyone for your contributions. We truly appreciate your support. If you want to join the other patrons, please head on over to patreon.com slash linuxuserspace. That'll get you one of the tiers. Contra, uh, the contributors tier will get you access to early. Early that's access. A, that's usually about two days early. Um, access to the audio version of the show. Yeah. And if you're on the producers tier, you can sit in here. You can sit with in us. here. Yeah, with us. Watch, watch our beautiful faces. Live. And, yeah, live as we do this and make mistakes and do terrible things and laugh about it and then go do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we've got a little before show and after show, that sort of yep. stuff, too. So Stuff that doesn't ever make it to anything. Nope, that's, it does that not. That stuff is stuff that you'll get to see. Uh, we have our Matrix room, uh, linuxuserspace.show slash matrix. You can hop on over there and uh, join in the fun and the discussion. Uh, we usually have a couple of good good conversations going on, so always fun over there. And then we have our Telegram group, linuxuserspace.show slash Telegram. And uh, if those aren't enough chat platforms for you, uh, as we mentioned, we have our Discord server, linuxuserspace.show slash Discord. Please follow us on Twitter at linuxuserspace to get all the latest announcements for this show and for highlights for things that impact your user space. You can watch our faces, our faces on YouTube, uh, linuxuserspace.show slash YouTube. And as we mentioned last time, we did have to change uh, YouTube channels, um, but yeah. that uh, shortcut will still get you to the new place. So we're, we'll keep on working on the old place and uh, getting things moved over uh, somewhat slowly. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it there. We'll, we'll get, get it, it there. there. We will. Our newest uh, social uh, addiction uh, is Reddit, and you can uh, find our subreddit, linuxuserspace.show slash reddit. Lastly, don't forget to rate this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast application, and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. You can always get more information at our website, linuxuserspace.show. Ready? I'm, it's time. 
I'm ready, Leo. I'm ready for this All next right. one because All right. it's you time know, to focus. It's very focused. Um, we're gonna put some tags on it so we can we can get organized. All right, what do we got? We got Kid Three, and then I said, uh, "Well, why don't we just do a double header here?" Yeah, because you, you did say that. <laughs> yeah, you use one and I use another one, but the job that we need to get done. It's the same job. Adding adding metadata. We need to add metadata to files like, uh, you know, Linux user space and the name of the episode and all that other kind of good stuff. So Kid 3, that was the original focus. It was because I use it every episode, every single one that we upload. I am tagging, you know, I'm tagging the MP3s and the MP4s that get uploaded to YouTube as well. I, now, I don't know if they get stripped off um, on YouTube or not, but uh, I don't know if YouTube puts its own spin to that. But I do it anyway. So I, I don't know. know if I'm wasting my time on that or what. But Well, it's, it's, it's good for the file that you still have, Dan. So, it, it is. You know, I it, mean, it, there's, there's yeah. benefit there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, definitely is good for the MP3s, though, because if you download those straight up from Fireside, uh, it'll have the, uh, the tags applied. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. So, so these these applications, both Kid Three and Easy Tag, are meant to take these files and add things like uh, title, artist, track, album, year, um, genre, uh, album art, things like that. Oh yeah, the album art—that's a biggie. Oh yeah, that's kind of important, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you have these audio files, I mean, especially if you have like CDs that you have ripped right. sometime in the past. And, uh, you know, sometimes the CDs actually add the metadata to it, but a lot of times they just don't. Right. So I guess it depends on the uh, the label that you're getting your stuff from. But either way, if it doesn't have that information, both of these, both Kid3, which is a, a KDE application, and EasyTag, which is a GTK application, um, they will both help you organize that stuff. So when you import it into some kind of audio player or something like that, it reads correctly. It tells mm -hmm. you everything you ever wanted to know about that particular track all the way down to the year that it was published. So it's just really nice to be able to have a nicely curated set of information, uh, essentially, with, with every media file you have. Depending on your uh, media playback application, lots of times if you just have it running in the background, you'll still get a little notification that this track is running and, you know, what the name of it is, what the album it is. And so you can see a little little notification up in the corner. You know, this this is now playing, if you will. And if you don't have any tag on there, then you don't really know. And it's like no fun. Yeah, it just says, it's, it it's says so like boring. unknown or yeah, something. And that's so, not helpful. That's so boring. So this lets you apply those and it can put those things right in your face. Yep, exactly. So it's just nice to have, I mean, both Dan and I use it all of the time. Dan tags all of the Linux user space stuff. Um, I still help out over at the, the Mintcast group. Mm -hmm. So I tag all of their stuff. Right. And... Right. So, I mean, these are just really useful applications when you want to curate yep. all of your stuff. That's it's, it's very good for stuff like that. Both of these are available um, as a flat pack. So easy, mm -hmm. easy install there. Um, you, they come as a deb, but there's packages for just about um, every distribution, I think. Um, 
there's a lot. These are very established programs mm-hmm. that um, would like. I would be extremely surprised if whatever distribution it is that you're running doesn't matter. All of them. I think if they don't have them in the main repository where you have to do zero work, you know, whatever package manager you have, install Kid Three or install Easy Tag, and it just it'll pick it up. It's there. So the other cool thing, though, I'll say about Kid Three anyway, is it's available on Windows and Android. Now that's that is a huge benefit. That is just amazing. Yeah, of all the K apps, really. I mean, I think yep. most of the K apps have this kind of cross compatibility. So, you know, if if you're going to get one and you want it to be able to be um, available yeah. everywhere, it's probably going to be the Kit Three one. Yeah, yeah. So and macOS, so macOS, Windows, Android, um, and then as well as Linux. So that's 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 amazing. There, I believe, I believe, uh, Easy Tag is available in Windows. Oh, is it? I actually have never checked. I, I use MP3 tag on Windows, but uh... <laughs> I, I feel like it might be available in Windows as well. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but it definitely um, it's it's not isolated to to Linux. Um, I did notice there was another platform that it was available on, and uh, wow, there really is. There really is an Easy Tag Windows installer. Yeah. So. Ah. No- Darn neat, right? So these these are that is super cool. These applications are ubiquitous. You'll find them in other places. Yeah, I did not know that about Easy Tag. That's fantastic. Um, so one of the things is how do you use it? Well, you just fill in the blanks. You 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 can fill in the blanks, or there's actually um online databases that you can pull the information from and yes. import them, which is even easier. And it'll do multiple files, so you can do like say a whole album worth of uh, files and it'll 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 do them all at once um and apply tags to all of them so that's also pretty cool um but um i and and like you can copy and paste between uh different files as far as the tags and stuff too so that's also pretty neat it can get pretty advanced so i do recommend you know reading the instructions in the in the manual if it gets too deep but uh for the most part yeah, like I said, just fill in the blanks. Hmm. Next time, we wrap up all of our thoughts and feelings and everything else, all of the experiences that we've had on NixOS. And this is going to be one of those distros where it's going to be out there, man. Nix is. is not like any other distro that it has been on this show. From day one, not a single one. OpenSUSE, Tumbleweed, kind of, kind of, only kind of comes close in in very limited ways. But Nix is something different and special. It's and wow, it. it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, you, you don't know what you're biting into until you actually get into it. It is deep. But I, I don't yeah. hate it, though. I don't hate it. No, not at all. I mean, you you've got to you you've got to take off your traditional. This is how I've done things in Linux yep. forever. I have appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. It's it, it. You know, there's one thing you can say about Nix, and it's Nix is reproducible. Absolutely reproducible. <laughs> so we'll um we'll we'll have a little bit of chatter with you, and uh, we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about where Nix came from, where it goes, where where it's going. And uh, kind of what we think about it at at the very least at the end of uh, at the end of all of this. 
So stick around for that. Come back for that. We'll have a good time talking about everything Knicks. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening and for your support. We really appreciate it. Um, Where can we find you, Leo, on the Internet? You can find me uh, at Twitter, at Leo Chavez. And you can find me on Twitter, at KC2BEZ. Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. Oh, yeah, my, my generic advice of don't talk to it like, like a human. I remember the commercials back in the day where you could mm-hmm. just, like, type in, yeah, how many miles is it to, uh, you know, this place over here, and uh, how long does the carnival stay open? And, you know, Google's pretty good about parsing that. Mm-hmm. But once you start getting into technical questions and something like that, you really mm-hmm. got to talk to it like a robot. Because yep. if you don't, um, you're going to get a bunch of cruft. Right. And then quotes, man. Quotes. Quotes are, they'll save your life. It's, I actually messed up. This is how I figured it out. <laughs> you know, isn't that what video editing is all about? You messed up somewhere? Pretty much. <laughs> uh, but I realized you were off a little bit, so I, mm-hmm. I brought you forward, and then I realized that messed up the cut. So, like, I couldn't do, um, there were a couple of things additionally that I wanted to do that I couldn't do anymore unless I, like, undid, like, the past eight things and then redid them all. I didn't want to do that. So, I don't know what possessed me to double click on the middle part frustration probably (laughs) but it it did that wipe and it looked i I mean it's not like it's perfect or it's not like it is amazing or anything but it's way less cleaner yeah yeah